0: Amen. Thank you, Bob and Renee. And they told me just the other day that they just celebrated their one year at being at Influence Church. So it doesn't take long to engage. Amen. All right. You're now the poster child. Of one year link group leaders, okay? God bless you guys. How are you doing? Let me let me just kind of do a little intro before the message um, called Prefast Challenges and Victories. Whenever you come into a house, a church, we like to call it the house, house of God, whenever you come into a church and you commit yourself to it, there's a benefit. And one of the benefits is a covering. There's a spiritual covering that you benefit from whether you know it or not. And what that means is you're under kind of a blessing of the house, and and the blessings of the house come to you, but also the challenges of the house come to you. And that's why the Bible says that when one rejoices rejoices, uh, all should rejoice. When one feels a burden, all should feel a burden. So you you carry this body kind of feeling. Just like your physical body, if you go through a flu or you go through sickness, it doesn't affect just one part of you physically. It affects every part of your being. And the same thing's true in the body of Christ. So you get the benefit of being in community and the blessings that come, but also the challenges that come. So when when I talk about a pre-fast, Whenever we announce that we are going to fast as a church, we've put on alert spiritual forces of wickedness that we are serious about moving forward with the kingdom of God. Now, sometimes we use that as an excuse for bad stuff that happens. But I want to remind you at the same time that you've put spiritual forces of wickedness on uh, on alert, you've also announced to all the angels in heaven and to God that you're serious about the things of God. And so what you're really doing is you're saying, wait a minute, this is not a dualism where good and evil are fighting. We always win. Can I get an amen on that? We always win. You see, we already have the triumph in Christ that he has won the battle over every principality and power and every wicked ruler in high places. And so when you enter into it, you're going to begin to see blessings come even before the fast. You're gonna see challenges come even before the fast. During the fast, same thing's gonna happen. You're gonna start to see blessings. You're gonna see challenges. But I want you to know, if you endure, if you press into the kingdom, you're going to see some amazing things happen in your life. We're gonna see amazing things happen in the life of this church. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. So one of the pre- uh, blessings that came to me was I got a call this week uh, from the History Channel and they asked me if I would do be a part of a four-part series on angels and demons. And my first thought came, you know, this makes sense. I'm getting ready to go into a fast and there's going to be a challenge, but there's a blessing. Now, probably five years ago, I did a special on the History Channel on the end of the world, so probably I'm still in the system and they're looking for the biblical expert as they called me. And uh, so anyway, I I went down to Culver City on, let me tell you how it it unfolded. So on Wednesday, I got a text from a random person I did not know from the History Channel, can I do a Skype call with you ASAP? So I did this Skype call. I got done, and she said, yeah, you'll do. You'll be perfect. (laughs) Right? I said enough stuff about angels and demons that got her alert, I guess. And uh, then she said, um, on Thursday, um I'm going to I want to go ahead and have you come and we're going to shoot some videotape on Friday and so I've got like 24 hours to prepare for a 3 or 4 hour taping on Angels and Demons without notes okay without notes so if you you want to know anything about Angels and Demons I know more than I did before how's that <laughs> But it was it was really amazing because there were times when I'm talking about Angels and Demons from a biblical worldview from a biblical perspective that the producer's eyes would get as big as saucers, and he would lean in like, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. And he asked me this question. He says, like, give me some examples of spiritual warfare, like not in the Bible but today. And so um, I began to give him some of those. And then he said, well, like, is spiritual warfare going on right anywhere like in the world today? And I said, it's going on in this room right now. And I could see his face kind of turn a little pale. And I, he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, right now we're talking about angels and demons. We're talking about all the forces of evil that have tried to contend with God, who've tried to disrupt the people of God, and now we're going to put them on this in this discussion on display as defeated. That does not make somebody happy. And he kind of gasped, and then I said, but... One third of the angels fell away from God and became demon spirits, but two thirds remained loyal and those are angels. That means any way you look at it, we have a two to one advantage with angelic beings. Amen? But we also don't have this dualism of good and evil that are kind of battling it out. You know, God and Satan, and we sure hope, we think God's going to win the end, but it's going to be tough. No, that's not the case at all. God is sovereign over all things. God will prevail. I read the last chapter. I know how it ends. And Satan is put in a bottomless pit, chained for eternity, and he's out of our hair, out of our problem, out of our network. Amen? Come on. Can you give God a big amen for that one? All right, that's the pre-message. Now the sermon. We're on a series called God and Business. And one of the things that happens when you read the Bible, we always go into our Bible reading with a certain preconceived idea of what we're going to find. If we've already heard a passage or heard a story in the Bible, we take with us what we've already been interpreted to us or explained to us in that text. But remember, the Holy Spirit is always moving. He's always bringing fresh insight to every situation. And when you go into a passage like we're going to go today, the parable of the great banquet, you go in with a certain preconceived idea if you've heard it before. What I want you to do is I want you to do what I did for this series, and that is begin to layer into this, how would this relate to the business world? It's been amazing after the first message, I had three or four businessmen came to me and they said, I'm going to use this this week with my staff. And, and I'm, that's the greatest compliment you can get if there's something that actually becomes usable from my message that you can transfer into your daily life. That's the goal. Amen? Okay. So let's start with a couple of ideas. The first one is this. In business, you have to be ambitious, You have to be ambitious. People say, well, don't you think that's a bad thing, being ambitious? Well, what's the opposite of it? Lazy? I mean, if you think about it, if I'm not ambitious, what am I? I'm not doing anything. Ambition works in every field and every endeavor. If you're a parent, you should be ambitious to raise up godly children. If you're out here in the business world, you should be ambitious to succeed. If you if you're own a company, then you're going to be ambitious because you care for those people who work under you and you want them to get a paycheck. Because you're literally helping to further their families and their lives and their dreams and their hopes. So it's all very, very important. In the Bible, it, it, it uses a really simple illustration about ambition with ants. And it says this. It says, consider the ant when it talk about work. And you think, wow, that's interesting. And it says the ants, they are always working, they're always moving, they're always doing something, and yet they have no leader that's directing them. I like to put it this way. Have you ever watched an ant pile and seen any of them take a break? You ever see an ant just kind of laying back with one, one, you know, one hand under its head and going, you know, I've been moving flies all day long. This is getting so old. Is there anything else we can do? And why the little hole? Why do, we ha- why do we take the big fly and get it in the little hole? It doesn't make sense. They don't do that. Why? Because they're ambitious. The Bible says be like an ant. You have to be ambitious. You have to keep moving in that direction. Be proactive. A lot of people don't do anything unless somebody's pushing them. But you have to be proactive. You say proactive is i got to get ahead of activity here. Activity is moving here. No, I'm not going to wait for it to come to me. I'm going into it full force. I'm going to be proactive. Nothing happens because you want it to. Did you hear me? Nothing happens because you want it to. It happens because you help to make it so. You push it forward. I read about uh, three types of leaders with this illustration. I thought it was so good. Let's suppose you walk into a room and the chairs are all messed up. And leader level one walks in and goes, oh, the chairs are all messed up, and keeps walking. Leader two comes in, says the chairs are messed up, and straightens the chairs. Level three leader walks in, says the chairs are messed up, straightens the chairs, and then teaches somebody how to straighten chairs. What kind of leader are you? If you walked into your church this morning and chairs were messed up, what would you do? Would you walk by it and go, oh, the chairs are messed up? I guess somebody will get it. Or would you say, I'm going to straighten the chairs? Or would you say, I'm going to straighten the chairs, and then I'm going to get involved in an usher team or on a link group, and we're going to make sure we have straight chairs every single week when people come in this house? You label yourself instantly by what you don't do. Leadership is not about what, only about what you do. It's also about what you don't do because there's a level of leadership that points to where you are in life, and it, it probably is reflected in your personal life as well. If you say it's not my responsibility, what are you really saying? I remember one time I was going to staff meeting, not at this church, at another church, and there was a limb that had fallen down in front of the front door where we entered in for staff meeting. We were the first ones there. And I thought, I know I'm not the first one here. I wonder how many people stepped over that limb and didn't move it. And so I thought to myself, and I I reached my pocket, I got a $5 bill, took a rubber band, and I wrapped the $5 bill on the limb because I knew more staff were coming in. Went down there. There was about six or seven staff members sitting in there. Nobody said a word about the limb. I didn't say anything about the limb or the $5 bill. All of a sudden, one of the staff members came in rejoicing he had found a $5 bill. Hey, you won't believe it. I found a, a, a $5 bill out there wrapped on a limb uh, with a rubber band around it. And I said, did you move the limb how can 18 staff members walk past a limb in front of the door and not move it? I intentionally didn't move it because I wanted to see if anybody else would move it and steal my $5. <laughs> that tells you something about leadership. That's the, the, the mindset you have to get into of go, I'm going to move the limb, I'm going to find the owner of the $5 bill, and I'm going to rejoice that I got to be a part of changing the course of that day. Yes. Hey, you know what that is? Fulfilling. People say, I want to be fulfilled. Do something. Fulfillment doesn't come by sitting somewhere. It comes by doing something. Know the objective. Where do you want to go in life? What is the objective? If you're, a, if you're a parent and you're raising children, what's your objective? My objective is to raise wonderful children who will love God, who one day will get jobs and raise wonderful children and get great jobs and do that all over again. I mean, that's one of the goals, amen? Your goal as a parent shouldn't be they should stay at my house the rest of their life. Ooh, that got quiet. <laughs> That's not a goal. I like to say, imagine if you had an 18-year-old son, and when he graduated, you said to him, what do you want to do in life? He said, I just like it here with you and Mom. I mean, I get, I get meals every day. I get to borrow the car. I don't have to put gas in it. I don't have to pay insurance, you know. I think I'm, when I graduate, I'm just going to kind of hang around here, and I'll get, go ahead and keep getting the allowance. You know, the 20 bucks a week is fine because all my meals are paid for, cars paid for, gas paid for, insurance paid for. It's great. And you as a parent would say what? Wrong. I got another plan for your life. And it's going to look a lot different than what you imagine. Uh, One of the guys that I really like to read is a guy named uh, Rabbi Lapin. And and Lapin is great because he brings in this this Old Testament uh, writings and Torah uh, with business principles. And one of the things he said, this is a great quote, he said, narrow your freedom. Let's just stop and take this piece at a time. Narrow your freedom. You can't get where you want to go if you live with a broad view of life. You have to narrow it down. I can't do everything. If you can do one thing well, you've done something. Narrow your freedom. Limit your options. You say, I've got so many options right now. I've got a million open doors. Then close them and open one. You see, the problem is with opportunities is it's confusing. It's like paint at Home Depot. Have you ever been to Home Depot to get off-white paint? I mean, you walk in there, you say to the guy, hey, I I need some off-white paint, and he points me to a wall with a 1,000 shades of off-white paint. I don't know. I don't know what I want. I don't know what it's going to look like. I mean, I don't have cool, glidden lights up here. What do I get? And so I pick out one, and I say, I want this. He said, okay, now, do you want that in dead, flat, gloss, -gloss, semi-gloss, eggshell? And I go, I just want off-white paint. So I get off-white paint. I bring it home. We put it on the wall. My wife says, it's not the right shade of off-white paint. So I go back in. I go, it's not the right shade. What is it? It's a little too yellow. I said, okay, I'm going to put a couple of squirts in there. (laughs) A couple of squirts in there. I don't know what it is. I take it home. Now I have a custom paint that I cannot return. It's all a trick. I know how this thing works. Now I go home, and I put it on there. It's not right. Now I've either got to buy more custom paint with two squirts, or I've got to start the process all over. I don't like options. We're watching Netflix the other night. I Netflix, and then we flip over here to Hulu. We got, you know, we got it all going on, and I, I said, I just want to watch Gunsmoke. <laughs> now, for those of you who don't know who that was, there was, when I grew up, there were three shows on TV. You could watch Gunsmoke, Right? You can watch that. It was great. You could watch, uh, you know, Yosemite Sam. You could, I mean, it just wasn't much. But you know what is really easy? I get two, four, or seven. When we got nine, it was amazing. Okay? And guess what? It all went off at midnight because nobody should be watching TV after midnight. That was what the network said, right? It was simple. You say, I'm just looking for an open door. Quit looking for them, they're everywhere. I have a 1,000 open doors right now. I cannot go through but one. If you try to go through two, you're going to get caught up. You're going to get distracted. You're going to run into a wall. What you have to do is say, what is this one thing that I want to do with my life's journey? What is this one thing? People say, I'm just trying to find the will of God. I I know the will of God for everybody in this room. Are you ready? Are you going to write it down? You're going to be like, you think I'm going to tell you a joke. I'm not. I'm going to tell you the truth. Here's the will of God. It says it in the Word of God. The will of God is that you're conformed to the image of the invisible God, that you're Christ-like in all that you do. That's the will of God for you. Now, you say, well, what about my life? I want to know what God wants me to do with my life. What do you like to do? What do you have an aptitude for? What is it that seems to be working for you in your direction? Go do that. But then... When you're doing that, make sure you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul. You're conformed to the image of the invisible God. And do what you love to do. Do what you have an aptitude to do. And ask God for directions as you're going through that one open door that you've now chosen. You have to pick somewhere. You have to get it going somewhere. He says, choose your path, and you will be free to pursue your goals to their ultimate end. When you get on one path, you go, that's my goal, that's where I'm going, and I'm going to make that better every step of the journey. Now, when we begin with the parable the great, uh, the great feast of God here, um, it starts with this verse. It says, and so we know that the context of this is the kingdom of God. It says this in verse 15, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. If you want to be happy, then your nourishment is going to come from the word of God. It's going to feed on God in everything you do. Amen? So, blessed is He. You want to be happy? That's how you become happy in life. Now, let's get into the parable a little bit more. And I want to begin with this point passion and enthusiasm are the best starting place. If you're going to start anywhere, you have to, am I passionate about this? Am I enthusiastic about this? Or am I looking at my job going, I hate my job. I can't wait to leave. And you have to ask yourself those questions and answer those questions because if you're not 100% sold out into your job, then sooner or later you're going to become so discouraged or you're going to do less than a great job in your job. So one of the things, you're either going to fail or you're just going to feel like a failure in your job. But you say, well, sh- what well, should I quit my job? I have people all the time. Should I quit my job? No. Keep your job. Begin to develop over here What you're really wired for, see if you have an aptitude for it. See if you can start it as a value add versus then an either or. And you begin to to, to test the waters a little bit and see what's out there and see how it works. You say, well, my job brings me no purpose. Then find purpose outside of your job and let your job be a revenue stream for you. Not every job is going to be fulfilling all the time. Sometimes it's going to be horribly frustrating But guess what? At the end of the week, you know what? When you get a paycheck, it feels better. I love to ask people when I go up to a counter, I say, how are you doing? And they say, oh, fine, but I got to work all day. And my first response is always the same. Are they paying you? (laughs) Because I'd hate to think I was hiring an employee. That was his view of me paying him to stand behind a counter. Well, yeah, they're paying me. Are they doing that on a regular basis? Well, yeah, yeah, they, they pay me a paycheck every week. And so that's a bad thing. Why don't you quit so you don't have to worry about the paycheck? <laughs> you see the difference in perspective? I said, "Now how you doing?" I think I'm doing better. I think I think life's getting a little bit better. Yeah, because guess what? What gets paid for gets done. Do it with a smile on your face. All right, let's go to the parable. Luke chapter 14, verse 16. A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. Now, in parables, are earthly stories, but they always have a heavenly message. And in the parable, you can usually identify God either in part or completely with the main character. In this case, it is the, the man who's there, the master is there, and we would equate that largely with God. So it says, a certain man gave a great supper, and he invited many. Now, what happened in that day, which is a little different than our day, was that they would, he would go around and he would get an invitation out to people and say, hey, I'm going to have a great supper. Would you come? And they say yes. They don't give the time or the date. They just say, when it's ready, I'll let you know. That's your confirmation. Today we do save the date, more details to follow. But in that day, it was a little bit different. You confirmed it with the the person who was inviting you, and then you were available whenever it happened. So he did this, and it says that he invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time. Okay, so now the transition. Now everything's ready, food's on the table, supper time, and say to those who are invited, come, for all things are now ready. So drop everything you have, come to the dinner, because it's time. You've been waiting for this great meal. It's here. I got good news. It's going to be a great banquet. And all your friends are going to be there. It's going to be wonderful. And so all of a sudden, what happens? But they all, they all, it says, with one accord began to make excuses. One guy said, you know, I just got married, and I I hate to leave my wife. Another one said I just bought a piece of land, and I need to go check on it. And they all had this, this sense of it's not a real excuse. There's something wrong with this excuse. And all of a sudden, you begin to realize a business principle here, and that is setbacks are a necessary part of business. All his plans were coming to an end. All of his dreams, all the meal is, is on the table. What am I going to do? In business, it's that way. It just happens that way. I was reading an article uh, this week in a business journal on uh, Tesla, and Tesla has now exceeded in value both Ford and Chevy in its, in its net worth. Now, think about that. Here's this crazy idea, create an electric car you have to plug in. It sounds like something you get at Christmas for your kid, right? And all of a sudden, it's going to take off in just a, a, a series of a short number of years, and it's going to outstrip automobile companies that are 100 years old, and they're scrambling, 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 to try to catch up, because you know why? they missed out on what the market was saying, what the market was doing. It reminds me of my mom when, when we were growing up, my mom wanted a Volkswagen. And uh, the Volkswagens at that time were the only gas-efficient car. My dad was a, kind of a dodge guy, and he always drove a big uh, Monaco and you know, something that weighed 400,000 tons and got two miles to the gallon. And, uh, and he, he said, okay, I'll finally, after persuasion, I'll get it for you, but I'm not driving it. So my mom was, uh, you know, she, she kind of wanted to be right. Anybody know anybody like that? You know, husband, wife, want to be right. So what she did was she kept a little journal in her, in her glove box, and she would write down how many miles and when she put gas in it. And then that way she could track how many miles per gallon. And then at dinner time, we all had dinner together, she would announce to my dad with great glee how many miles a gallon she was getting. She was getting 30 plus miles a gallon. My dad was getting, he didn't want to talk about it. And so, so anyway, I decided that it was time to pull a joke on my mom. And uh, she had a strict rule. If you drive my car and you put gas in it, you write down how many gallons in the journal so I can track accurately how many miles to the gallon I get. So I thought it would be fun just occasionally to put two or three gallons in my mom's car and not tell her and not write it down. And so I did that over the course of a month. And I remember the day when my mom came in announcing to my dad that she was getting over 70 miles to the gallon (laughs) out of a little Volkswagen. My dad said, it can't be. Let me do the math. You're not, never were good at math. She did the math. He did the math and found out, yes, she was getting like 71 miles to the gallon. And I eventually, after a couple of years, told him what was going on, but I had a lot of fun with it for a while. And you know, but, but what happened was the industry missed that they needed to, to create a, a fuel-efficient car. I was reading another article, and, and it was about Borden Milk. Everybody know Borden? Uh, that logo, by the way, got the top uh, 10 logos of the 20th century. If you don't know what Borden Milk is, then you need to go to the, to the grocery store and check it out. It's just a big cow with flowers around her head. But I read about Borden. Borden was a Christian man about 100 years ago, who began uh, producing milk on a commercial scale. He, he had two or three patents that he had created, and he had built this one-man company into really, really a huge, huge powerhouse. He had a son, and his son had a heart for missions. And he had a heart for the Arabic-speaking people in China. And so, in preparation for that, he went down into Saudi Arabia, and he studied Arabic, and with the plan that he would go back to China, and he would win the multitudes for Jesus Christ. But while in Saudi Arabia, he, he developed tuberculosis and died. And he took all of his inheritance that he had coming to him before his death, and he channeled it all toward Christian uh, missionary efforts. And, I, and I'm reading this fascinating article. This has been about a month ago, and I thought, I'm going to use this in a message that's so good. And it, just this heart for God and, and this great business, this great entrepreneur who built this amazing company called Borden's Dairy. And then as I was reading, a, a business journal article clicked up on my, on my news feed, and it was about Borden's Dairy, and I said, oh, I can't wait to read this. So I started reading about Borden's, and apparently it had sold a few years ago and went from a privately held company into a, into a corporation uh, that was mandated on and, and, and changed on the stock exchange. And, uh, and this company had bought it, and then they did two mistakes. Number one was they started buying up unrelated companies, so they lost focus. They lost focus on their primary industry, which was milk. And then the second thing they didn't anticipate is that people would become lactose intolerant. Do you realize when I was growing up, nobody was lactose intolerant? Nobody, nobody. Everybody was fine. Drink all the milk and peanuts you want. You're going to be okay. (laughs) So I don't know what happened, but it happened. But Borden's missed out on that that changing, that shifting in economy. And and then all of a sudden, you know, it's uh, now Borden's is announced that they're up. For bankruptcy. It's amazing a billion dollar company like Borden's could come to that place, but guess what? They missed out on what was going, and the setbacks are a necessary part of your business. Also, urgency is a great motivator. Did you notice what happened here uh, as you go through this thing? They began to make excuses, and all of a sudden, the master is going, What do I do? Urgency, no time to waste. Things don't typically go from better, uh, from worse to better. They go from from better to worse. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, stop reading your Bible. You start reading your Bible one day a week, and the next thing you know, it's two days, five days, seven days. You can't remember when you read it. Stop going to church one week. Oh, two weeks is fine. Three weeks, no, it doesn't really matter. And so we as human beings practice self betrayal, we do stuff that's not in our best interest. Because we're human and we're fallen, and we go from order to disorder in our lives unless we take steps to change the course of it. And so, urgency is a good motivator. If you look in your life and you go, Wow, something's not working here, don't wait. Don't wait. It won't get better. Hello? Let me try it again. If you talk to me, I preach better. It won't get better. Yeah, there you go. All right. Now, next thing is adjust your strategy to changing conditions. If you've got a strategy that's going this way and it's not, it stops working, it won't work better later. In that same news feed, it was talking about brick-and-mortar stores that are going away because of the Internet. That makes sense. How long can you hold on to a brick-and-mortar store and still function? And so the idea is if you're in business, you have to say, What's happening in my world, and how can I adjust to changing conditions? Luke chapter 14, verse 21 through 23. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. That is, everybody that's invited is not coming. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Now, a couple of things I want you to notice. We said initially that the main character is typically God in the story. You say, well, I didn't know God got angry. Of course he does. He's a person just like you are. He has emotions just like you. He cries. He laughs. He gets angry. You see, when we make a commitment to God and then we pull back on it, God says, I thought we had an agreement. I thought we were in covenant. I thought we were in relationship. And so God reacts by going, wait a minute. I did all this for you, and so you could what? Ignore what you promised you would do to me? For me? And so God gets angry in this story. He says, okay, I'm changing my strategy. Here's what I said to the servant. I want you to go out into the streets and the lanes of the city. I want you to bring in the poor. I want you to bring in the maimed, the lame, and the blind. I want you to go out and do it quickly. You know what the master did on changing strategy? He shifted his target audience I've been going down this road on my target audience, and it's not working the way I want it to work. I'm going to shift over here and start seeing people I never saw before. You see, this guy was probably rich because he was giving a great supper. He invited everybody he knew and he loved, everybody in his economic condition. He missed out on what God wanted him to do. He missed out on what God was going to do in his life. He said, wait a minute, for the first time in my life, I see poor people. I see blind people. I see maimed people. He had a shift, and it was a shift that was in a good direction. Amen? And he said, go out there. And he says, you bring them in. We're going to put them right at the table, right next to the rich guy, right next to the educated guy, right next to the guy who can see and the guy who can hear and the guy who can walk. We're going to put them right there at the table. And when I saw that, I said, that's what we're trying to do with the empowerment program is we're going to reach into these different uh, avenues of, of, of our community, whether it's Boys and Girls Club or Grandma's House or Teen Challenge or any of these, and we're going to say, we're going to make a difference in your life because if we didn't see you in the first seven years, we're going to see you in the next seven years. We're going to have the heart of compassion that God wants us to have. We're going to see the things that God wants us to see and do the things that God wants us to do. And if you notice, this guy was excited. He said, Go quickly. And it brings another principle in leadership, speed of the leader, speed of the team. When the leader got excited, the servant got excited. When the leader said, we're going to take that hill, he said, I'm taking that hill with you. If you're in a leadership in any role and you're moving slow, don't expect to get anywhere. Don't expect your team to move faster than you. And if your team is moving faster than you, then they're the leader and you're not. cricket, 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 cricket. It's true. Speed of the leader, speed of the team. Next thing is keep your hand on the pulse. Keep your hand on the pulse. We have a good friend, has a very good business, um, became pregnant and decided to hire a CFO and turn that over to a CFO while she was going through a very difficult pregnancy. And in the process of it, it didn't take long before all of a sudden her business is in trouble. She doesn't know why, and it come to find out the CFO that she had entrusted to that business was actually stealing funds from the company and making bad decisions to the place to where it was at a what are we going to do, do we have to declare bankruptcy moment. What went wrong there was the point person took their hand off the pulse. If you have your hand on the pulse, do not assume that anyone that you know, love, or, or, or think of in, in your memory is going to be able to do what you do. That has to be a long period of testing. You know, when David uh, announced that he was willing to fight Goliath, remember this story? Everybody's afraid. King Saul's afraid. David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defiles the armies of the Most High God? And everybody's turning around and going, who is this dude? Because everybody's afraid. He says, the God will deliver me from the mouth of the lion, the paw of the bear will deliver me from this Philistine. Saul hears it, says, bring him over to my tent, brings him over. He puts his armor on him. And it says, David said, I, I can't fight in this. I'm not ready for this battle. This is the wrong battle for me. It's, and he said, it's not tested. Not tested. What do you need? I need all this stuff off me. I just need five stones and my sling. I can fight, I can win the battle, but I have to fight it on a different level. Old strategies don't work. You know the story. He gets five stones. He only needed one. But Goliath had four brothers. That's right. And when those guys show up, you want to have ammunition. Takes the stone Sinks it far into his forehead. He drops down. Stone didn't kill him. The Bible said he was still alive and moving. He took the sword of the enemy and he cut off the head of the giant. He packed the head with him and he took it into Jerusalem and said, Look what I got, folks. That's business. That's business. You confront your obstacles. You take authority over them, and then you rejoice in what you've done. I told you you're going to look at parables different today. (laughs) Amen? Because you see, see, the, the earthly kingdom in many ways parallels the spiritual kingdom, and you learn from the earthly how to apply the spiritual, and from the spiritual how to apply the earthly. So you begin to see, wow, you know, if you're out here and you're a businessman, you're, you're, you're in a war. You're trying to survive. You're trying to make your product move forward. You're trying to do all these things. And it doesn't mean you do anything unethical or illegal or morally wrong. It means that you operate in the very best possible way to grab the market share that you can in order to take care of your vision, your dream, your employees, and your purpose. Amen? Amen? And if you don't keep your hand on the pulse, I promise you, somebody else will, and their heart will beat with a different beat. All right. Chart. Okay. God bless you. Has anyone, <laughs> has anyone ever had a loss in their life? Any kind. Relationship, business, job, just Man, some of you just have been untouched by real life. <laughs> some of you go, I'm a Baptist, and I'm not raising my hand for any reason. Okay, let me try it again. Anybody here ever had a loss in any way? Okay, this chart's for you. Simple. Wasn't that simple? You think you're raising your hand, and you're getting tricked into something. Like, no, he's going to trick me. I'm going to have to give $1,000. No, this is not a trick. Okay, now watch this. When something changes in your life, let's say that you're in relationship, that relationship goes south, your first response is shock. Your shock is, wow, I can't believe this happened. I think this must be a bad dream. I don't know what's going on. And then you move into denial. And this could be anything, remember, from your market condition changed, you lost your job, you lost a relationship, anything else. This is a natural curve that applies to every person that goes through difficulty. So the first thing is shock. Next thing is denial. And so this didn't really happen. I think it was a bad dream. You'll even hear people articulate it that way. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I I think it's not true. And then all of a sudden you go, well, I guess it did happen. I guess this really came down. And, And then it becomes clear that this change in my life is real. It's not going away. And the next step is depression, low energy, low mood. So now you're with the person. You're going, like, I just don't have the energy I did. I'm not motivated anymore. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then you see now you're at the bottom of this curve, and all of a sudden, at some point, you begin to put your toe in the water of the new experience that you have in your life. Now you go, like, okay, I don't have that fiancé anymore. Now what do I do? And you begin this experiment. I don't have that job. What do I do? So at some point, you begin to, to kind of engage in the new that you have. It wasn't the old that you liked, it's the new that you have. And if you stay with the old that you had, you'll never enjoy the new that you have. This is good. Because some people get so stuck in yesterday, they never get to enjoy today or tomorrow. Could you ever stop to think that today and tomorrow could be brighter than yesterday? That without that necessary ending, you couldn't have a future? that the future in front of you could be greater than anything you ever experienced in the past. In fact, it will be if you make it so. And so now you begin this experiment, and you start to engage in that, and then you make a decision. The decision is that, you know what, I think I'm going to engage in this new situation. I'm still a little bit cautious, but I'm going to engage, and I'm going to decide I'm just going to go with it and see where it leads. They might even put a little statement on the end of it, like, if it doesn't go well, I guess I can always do something different. But the idea here is that, no, I'm making a decision, and then once you decide to engage, you say, I'm engaged in this new role, this new position, this new relationship, this new whatever. All of a sudden, guess what? From this point on, it's onward and upward. Now, if you're supervising someone on this level, You you notice at the bottom there, there's five things that are important. One is clarity. Hey, there's real clarity here. This is what's really happened. Hey, I know this hurts for you right now. I'm empathetic with you. But now the next thing is, let me motivate you. There's there's some great opportunities here. And then guess what? Capacity begins to grow in your life, and then knowledge begins to grow. Do you realize that if you're in high school, you're going to experience this right here when you graduate? What? What? Do you know that that high school is a pretty good time, even if you hate it? Right? You're going to experience it in college. I mean, every college student gripes about how much work and how many papers they have to write. And I always look at them and I say, it's a paid vacation. It's the best time of your life. Trust me. They all look at me like I'm crazy. And then they graduate. You're right. Okay, so now all of a sudden, guess what? You graduate from high school where you're a senior and you're somebody. Now you're either going to go out and have to get a job, or you're going to go to college. And you go into college or job, either one, and guess what? You are not a senior anymore. You experience, where's my chart? There it is. You experience a shock. That's all you're going to pay me? Watch me. You have no experience. Right? Okay. Then you go, okay, I guess I'll take it. Then you go through depression. Man, I, high school was so much fun. I mean, I, I was a cheerleader. I was, I was a football player. I was somebody. I'm nobody. What am I going to do? Okay. How about, how about empty nest mom? Getting a little close to home here. Some of you think your kids are your friend your buddy who will never leave you, BFF, if you're a BFF with your kids, stop it. They don't want you as their BFF. If you don't know what BFF is, look it up. Okay, what happens? All of a sudden, all the kids move out. Now you're stuck with him. What do I do with him? And then he announces, I'm gonna retire. And it's getting worse oh, no, I think I'm depressed. (laughs) Right? And then you go, I got to experiment. Okay, what are we going to do today? Well, you know, we're going to go to that restaurant. Well, I've been to that same restaurant eight days in a row. Is there any other ones? And then he says, well, what would you like to go? Well, I want you to make a decision. I made decisions all my life. I don't need to make them anymore. I mean, can you see this playing out? Are you with me on this one? So, this chart applies to everybody in this room. You say, I need that chart. It's on your app. All our notes are on the app. Just swipe left once you open it. All the notes of today are there before you even walk in the door. All right? Didn't that help? Okay. Wow, it's run out of time here. You guys have listened slow today. Know your objective. Know your objective. Luke chapter 14, verse 22, the servant said to the master, it is done. He's so excited. He got out and got the poor, the mind, the blame. All these people, he got them. He said, it is done as you commanded. And he, I think he says this with excitement. Still there's room. Sounds like Tammy over-inviting for the vision meeting here. There's still room. Come on. Come on. He's excited. You know why He's excited. Because he got to invite his people. The servant went out. He wasn't too upset about the rich and the famous not coming to the dinner because that wasn't his people. All of a sudden, he said, there's still room. Still room. We got room for one more kid at camp. We got room for one more boy from the Boys and Girls Club. We got room for one more person, one more person. And look, the master said to the servant, go out. Go out then. Go out and go to the highways and the hedges and compel them. And that word compel means to gr- grab by the arm and pull them in. You know who does that best? Sarah Salsas. If Sarah invites you to church, you might as well say yes, because sooner or later you're either going to have to come to church or Move because she ain't giving up till you come. That's a biblical concept. You ask somebody, you want to go to church? They go, no, and you just forget about them. No, what you do is you become compelling. Well, how about any time this year? Just pick a Sunday. I'll pick you up, and I'll buy you lunch afterwards. How do I say no to that one? I got to move. I got to do something. He says, And look what he says, and compel them to come in. Why? Why was the motivation? God says that my house may be full. This is our theme verse for this year, that God's house may be full. Our goal is that when when we come in here on Sunday, that first service, second service, there's not one chair empty, and we say we're going to go to a third service because we want to go out into the highways and the byways. We want you to invite people that don't look like you, smell like you, think like you, act like you, look like you. We want you to invite everyone. We want you to have an unending, unending amount of emotion and compassion and love for people so that it's extended everywhere you go. You see, in our personal life, there's always room for growth, isn't there? There's always room for growth in your life. You can grow as a person. I don't care how old you are. You say I'm old. I can't remember remember anything anymore. Yes, you can. There's always room for growth. There's always room for you to grow in compassion, always room for you to grow in generosity, always room. You want to be a growing kind of an individual. You see. You have to also recognize the power of affinity. There there is a power of affinity. That is, people that are like you, it's going to be easier for you to reach into their life. Start with them. When you run out of those, you go to the next level, next level, next level, next level. And guess what? You're going to find, watch this, you're going to find when you get out of your affinity group, your love will increase for the next group. Because there's something that you can give them and they can't give you. You grow as a person when you can give, not when you get. Amen? All right, let's stand together. I want to give you two scriptures as we close. I began with this one from Luke chapter 14, verse 15. Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Ultimately, this message is about you being in the kingdom and enjoying fellowship with God. The last verse in that parable goes like this, for I say to you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my supper. In other words, those who turned away from the invitation would not be invited into the supper. You see, what we wanna do is we wanna give you the invitation to come into the, into the family of God, but know that it also ends with a warning, and that is those who turn away from the gospel can lose their opportunity altogether. We don't want anyone to lose an opportunity for the kingdom of God. So I'm gonna ask you to pray. First of all, for those of you who may be uncertain about your eternal destiny, I wanna pray for you. And then we're gonna pray for those of you who know Christ. So let's just bow our heads for a moment. I want you to pray out loud with me this prayer. If you say, I'm not certain, or I know for certain that I'm not a Christian, pray this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that you died on on the cross for my sins. You were buried, rose from the dead, to give me eternal life. Save me, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and give me the gift of life in Jesus' name. If that was your prayer, then God did exactly what he said he would do. Now, for those of you who are Christians, I want you to pray this prayer out loud. So this should be the bulk of the people in this room. Let's pray this. Dear Lord Jesus, give me influence to reach my friends, my neighbors, my associates, and those I don't know for the kingdom of God. Give me courage, power, and strength in Jesus' name.